Let's get together, talk about the movies that we saw this week. We'll have discussions, talk film news, we'll laugh a lot and act like geeks. Sometimes we'll have a guest or two, sometimes it's just the two of us. Let's crack some jokes and tell some folks to come along and hang with us! Mike and Mike go to the movies. Mike and Mike go to the movies. Yeah! You have chosen wisely. I don't like podcasts. They're coarse and rough and irritating. They get everywhere. Except, of course, for Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Uh, I'm Mike Smith, and joining me, as always, is a man who knows that this podcast isn't sinking. It's crashing! Uh, Mike Takushio. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. How are you, Mike? I am good. I'm excited to uh, dig into this episode, actually. I think we have a fun topic that we will be getting into. Also been a little bit of time since we've done a Let's Rank, actually. Yeah, I don't remember the last one we did. Was it Director's Cuts? I believe the last one we did was Director's Cuts, and uh, that was back in, like, March to tie in with the Snyder Cuts. Yeah, that's right. Look at that. So it was a little while. That that was back in the before times, before you had even seen the Snyder Cut, Mike, when you were still steadfastly refusing to watch it until I made you watch it. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Even Um, even after you made me watch it, I still steadfastly refused to watch it. This is true. Uh, so, yeah, what you been up to, Mike? What's been going on in the in the life of Mike Tricio? Uh In the life of Mike Tricio, I've been uh, I've been doing weddings or a wedding. Uh, so that was exciting. That was last week, Fourth uh, of July weekend. I had a big, whole big family wedding party for the weekend. I took a day off though. It was three days, and I was like, okay, calm, calm down. Uh, so yeah. I, did, I did two <laughs> of the three, uh, and spent Fourth of July on the couch in the air conditioning. Uh, and of course, watched Jaws. And then uh, this most recent weekend, I went up and visited uh, producer Colin. I uh, just spent the day or the weekend on Saturday. Uh, we got we went out to breakfast and then got back to his apartment like at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And we're like, is it beer and movies time? And it was. Turns out <laughs> it was beer and movies time. And we watched like seven movies uh, nice on Saturday. Yeah, it was great. It was a wonderful time. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds like a good time. And uh, I've actually also been like, upping my movie watching game over the last like week and a half for whatever reason. I've just had like extra time to sit around and watch movies, uh, which has been nice. Well, I've mostly been watching newer stuff, uh, which, you know, I, I like to toss in some classics when I can. And I did throw in a few. I watched Amadeus for the first time, wow, uh, nice. which very good movie. Only was able to watch that because my girlfriend was sick and it was like asleep in the other room. So I was like, <laughs> I have three hours. I'm, I'm good. There you go. Uh, yeah, I watched Amadeus and a couple other things. I've, I started digging through my uh, my Godzilla Criterion Collection box set finally. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I watched Godzilla Raids again and King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, so that was fun. I uh, watched some new stuff. I watched the new Purge movie. It's all right. I uh, yeah. watched, watched the Tomorrow War. I really liked it. I'm the only one. Erroneous uh, in all accounts. <laughs> I thought it was very fun. Uh, watched No Sudden Move, the new Steven Soderbergh movie, and all that stuff. So we'll probably talk about a lot of those movies like, in, a, in a future discussions episode down the line. Correct. Um, you know, we'll see what happens. But today, we are talking about prequels, specifically prequels. The reason we're doing that is because uh, Black Widow just came out, the new Marvel movie, uh, which acts as a prequel to Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, uh, but also a sequel to Captain America Civil War. It's a you know, if you want to create like a new term for it, I guess it's a midquel. But I feel like it's a movie. (laughs) It is just a movie starring Black Widow. Yes, you're right. (laughs) But it's it's a movie that takes place in between two other Marvel movies. uh, That's wild. I had no idea. I didn't. I, th- I assumed it was before Avengers. 
Oh, no. Yeah. This takes place uh, after Civil War. Um, and I, I have seen Black Widow. You haven't seen it yet, uh, to no. be clear. Yes, uh, so, yeah, no, I, I will uh, lightly spoil for you, I guess, that it takes place after Civil War. Like the opening scene of the movie is or one of the first scenes you see in the movie is like William Hurt as uh, Secretary Ross, like hunting down Black I'm Widow. In. Uh, and that kind of thing, which is pretty fun. So I saw Black Widow. I thought it was pretty good. And uh, I think we're going to be talking about that movie more next week. Uh, we're going to have a, a guest on uh, if we can get him. Uh, Mikey Pockets, who uh, I, I already asked him to be on the episode and he said yes. I just got to make sure he's down to record with us. But uh, yeah, next week, I think we're going to be talking about Black Widow and Loki uh, because Loki also wraps up its season this week. So I figured, hey, why not just wait until we can talk about both of them? So we don't have to do like two weeks in a row of Marvel stuff. Yeah, that seems <laughs> you know, cool. You know, just kind of combine them into one episode if we can until it becomes like too unwieldy for us to review every Marvel thing. And then we can kind of pick and choose from from that point forward. But yeah, and you haven't watched any of Loki either, am I? No, I uh, started to download it and then I felt I felt very attacked after we finished uh, uh, Captain America and Winter Soldier about how like, I'm not going to watch any more Marvel shit. And then I just watched all of it anyway. I (laughs) I was like, "Eh, whatever, like I'll have it and I'll get to it when I get to it. So I haven't watched any of it yet. Um, And then we're going to do the episode next week. So now now I got to watch all of it. Yeah, I mean, at least at least in my opinion, Loki is really great like the the best of these shows so far uh nice. and if, if it sticks to landing i think it's going to be really really terrific so uh yeah looking forward to seeing how it all wraps up uh but yeah so we're gonna be talking about loki and black widow next week but because black widow came out this past weekend and because it sort of acts as a prequel to some of the marvel movies and not others uh <laughs> it's i figure we can do a, a let's rank prequels episode because prequels notoriously a difficult thing to make work uh, in movies and throughout other media. What do you think of when you think of prequels, Mike? Uh, it's the Star Wars prequels. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. You if think somebody of Star just Wars says the word prequels, I, that's all I go to. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, I, the word prequel was like really popularized when the Star Wars prequels were happening. That's like right. when it was kind of first like entered into the lexicon. Like prequels had existed as a concept before, like stories that took place before the stories. But I don't think anybody had ever like canonized a term for it until mm. the Star Wars prequels really came out and took hold. And then it became the thing where like, oh, man, if this story isn't working as well as it should be anymore, let's make a prequel to it. And maybe that'll be the, what people will be into. And so you have like stuff like Dominion, a prequel to The Exorcist. And oh, all yeah. That, all that kind of shit uh, that came out kind of in the wake of the Star Wars prequels. Of course, there was the Hobbit movies uh, doing the prequels to The Lord of the Rings and all that stuff. Uh, and the thing about the Star Wars prequels, not the most well-liked of films, <laughs> at least among our generation it seems like they're newly popular with younger people now i don't know i don't understand the kids today (laughs) (laughs) is it me that's out of touch no no it's the the children who are wrong (laughs) (laughs) that used to be a meme that used to be a meme i made like i would make fun of people with that meme until i became that meme is basically (laughs) our our next stop is old man yells at clouds yes so uh, we're already there mike i think (laughs) (laughs) but Prequels like as a concept have existed for a while now. And in the wake of the Star Wars prequels, they became like a more common thing that would happen. Um, But I think very rarely do they happen well. I I think most of the time when you hear something as a prequel, it usually sucks. (laughs) Um, And it's one of those things that's I think prequels are a very difficult thing to do because you already know how the story ends. Like you already have seen the end of the story. And now you're already like coming back to the beginning of the story. You have to rework how a character like defines themselves because if the character already went through a full arc in the other movie, now you have to either keep them exactly the same throughout the entire prequel or find a different arc for them to go through. And yeah, I can't really imagine uh, how hard that must be to keep track of that. Like the end of the prequel has to their character arc, like you're saying 
has to the the arc they go through in the prequel has to end with the arc they start in the or first movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, yeah, which is when you watch like Solo, which is another, you know, Star Wars prequel that happened, right? Like yeah. Han Solo goes through a complete arc in the first Star Wars movie, right? He's this like rebel scoundrel who is, you know, just kind of doesn't care about anything. He's only in it for himself. And by the end of the movie, he's like fully helping out the rebellion. He saves Luke in his hour of need and all that stuff, right? Right. Uh, and then Solo comes out and it's like, well, where can you like how, where can you take this character? Because he has to, the, this movie has to end on him being the rebel scoundrel who doesn't care about anything. Right. right yeah. <laughs> so like, wh- how far can you really take this? You know, in fact, he has to lose character growth <laughs> by the end of the <laughs> sequel or end of the prequel. It, a lot of times that is what happens. Uh, and so <laughs> to think about like the best prequels out there, like I was wondering about it and, I, and I, there was a few that came to mind and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, there are some ve- movies that I really like that are good prequels, but they might be the exact same ones that Mike picks too, because there aren't that many great movie prequels. <laughs> right. You know, this was actually, when you texted me about this, I was like, huh, this will be easy to think of. And then I got like two and I was like, I can't, I'm out. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had, had a Google and was like, oh, these are kind of, they're kind of like all the same, you know, whatever list you're looking at, they're kind of all the same thing. There's, it feels like, I feel like maybe in popular conception or whatever, Every movie is an origin story or prequel right now. Right. Uh, and then you look at a list of them and it's like, not really. There's not really that many and not many good ones. Uh, so it was pretty difficult to kind of like come up with the top five. I let us expand it a little bit. And I said, you know what? We can do this like top five ranking. Uh, we don't have to stick just to movies if we don't want to. We can kind of expand into other media. And you chose all movies anyway, because you forgot about that. Uh, yeah. But... Uh, my list is a mix of a bunch of other things. So I have like two movies on my list. I have two TV shows and one video game. Uh, it's kind of like even the playing field a little bit. So there's not going to be as much overlap on our list as there might be otherwise, because there are a few that I'm sure are, would be on both of our lists, uh, yeah. like no matter what, if, we, if I had all five uh, selecting movies. So uh, we're going to get into that. We're going to let's rank prequels. But before we do, got to tell you. All the theme songs you're going to hear this episode were created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own theme songs at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. Our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And if you ever want to contact us and respond to something we did on the show, you can email us over at Mike Might Go to the Movies at gmail.com. And now, let's rank. All right, we are getting into it now. We are ranking our top five favorite prequels of all time. Like I said, Mike's list, all movies. Mine is a mix of a few different kinds of media. Mike, what is your number five prequel of all time? You know, I'm always super confident. And then you say number five favorite of all time. And I'm like, (laughs) I've made a mistake. Suddenly (laughs) the pressure is on. You're going to be judged on this for generations to come. (laughs) Oh, for sure I will be because my number five is Prometheus. (laughs) Okay. What is that on its head? It looks like new cells in a state of change. Yes. Changing into what? Can you run a stem line into the locus ceruleus? I, I think we can trick the nervous system into thinking it's still alive. 30 amps. Okay. No more. Let me make an incision. Okay. Go up. 40. Okay, 40 up. <gasps> Did you see that? 
Yep, see? Go up another ten. Okay, up ten. <gasps> Maybe Size. it's a little bit too, too much. Go down ten. Okay, down ten. Down another twenty. Yep, okay, I'm tying it. I'm tying it. Stop it down. Hold down. Hold. Stop it. Jaden, contain it. No. Contain it. Turn it off now. Oh, God, the smell. Spicy hot take. Uh, yeah, this interesting. Is a pretty reviled uh, <laughs> as far as Aliens and Ridley Scott's movies go. Uh, people don't really like this one or the the Covenant either. Uh, I really wish yeah. we were ever going to get that third David movie. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Disney bought Fox and it's not, I mean, I think it was a like a tenuous thing that could have happened even even if Disney didn't buy Fox. Like it was like yeah. on the fence about whether it was going to happen. And then once Disney bought Fox, that seems like that's uh, that's probably not going to be the case. Now it's going to be like an alien TV show that Noah Hawley's doing. That could uh, be cool. Or something along those lines. Like, yeah, that could be fun. But yeah, I was a big fan of Alien Covenant, especially. I really liked that one. I think you yeah. put that in your top 10 that year, actually. Yeah, we both uh, really liked that one. Yeah, I really liked that one. And I've always like liked Prometheus more than a lot of other people do, I think. I didn't put either one on my list. I do have Alien Covenant in my honorable mentions, though. Nice. Yeah, I mean, Prometheus, I kind of it was kind of a toss up, I guess, between the two of them, Alien Covenant or Prometheus. But yeah, I really liked uh, Prometheus. I haven't seen it in quite a while, but this is kind of, a, I think, a symptom of having been at producer Colin's house when you texted me that we should be doing top five uh, prequels because he really likes it also. And in college, he somehow, I think through some like bullshit that when we worked at FYE, he got a free 3D monitor, not a TV, but just a monitor. So he was able to yeah. hook up a, his uh, Blu-ray player or PS3 to it or PS4, whatever it was at the time to it and bought Prometheus 3D Blu-ray. And we were like, watch it on the 3D in, his, in the living room. Uh, and it was fucking awesome. That shit was cool, though. Like that one yeah. scene with the map with the whole stuff. Oh, my stuff, God. That's the coolest shit ever. That's yeah. what 3D I, I is I remember seeing that, seeing that in theaters in 3D. And like that was like a mind. Like it was one of those things where like I, I understand the potential of 3D now. Like I get yeah. it. And there are so few movies that like really made me feel that way. And Prometheus is one of them. Yeah. I understand why people try to reach out and touch shit during 3D yeah. movies. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> that scene's amazing. And uh, yeah, I, I just I think I, I, I just enjoy, I mean, the abortion scene. <laughs> for lack of a better way to phrase that. Um, that is, it's a great scene. It's really great. Yeah, I feel like all timer. So yeah, I mean, this is, it's I, not particular, you know, not it's super gung ho on, <laughs> I guess on Prometheus because I haven't seen it in a really long time, but I, I want to stake my claim on Prometheus actually being a good movie that people should maybe rewatch. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I watched Prometheus uh, right before Alien Covenant came out. Like I rewatched it then. Right. That was the last time I've seen it. But it is a movie that uh, I have always thought was a little bit better than people gave it credit for. Uh, there are still you know things that it does that's really weird about it. Like there, there's stuff that's like laughably bad in it. I think. Yeah, let's all take our helmets off. I'll, like, yeah. I can see that one. That's pretty <laughs> yeah, silly. That's who all the characters act in very dumb ways. That the one moment where like Charlie Theron like dramatically reveals that I think Guy Pierce is her father. Uh, is you know just in, absolutely insane and like you know there's the one scene where she's like running from the giant wheel and it's like turn left like just yeah, turn just, <laughs> just don't turn. run in a straight line and you'll be okay you know there's, there's stuff like that but it's also a movie that I think kind of falls into a pretty common prequel thing it, it obsesses over like one or two aspects of like the mythology from the original movie and then builds an entire movie like just around that so like Prometheus like almost its entire purpose is to explain the set design of the original alien. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's that, that big thing in the chair, right? That like, it's right. Like, you see that in Prometheus and you see like how it gets to where it is in the first alien and then the first alien, you see it for like a minute at the beginning of the movie and then it's gone. Like you never like right. think about it again. It's like unrelated to anything going on in that movie. Uh, but I think Ridley Scott does like sneak in a lot of like interesting stuff in these two 
alien prequels. Like he's less, it feels like he's less interested in making alien prequels and more that he's doing like Blade Runner prequels almost. Yeah. I think, I think it, it gets a little, it gets a pretty big bump to, uh, because it's Ridley Scott. Like it's the same director back. Yes. Uh, so like somebody that had that vision in the first one or in the original, like getting to expand on it a bit more. And I'm also like always rooting for Numi Rapace. Like, like, come on, you can, you can finally break out and be the lead and find yeah. in something that will really hit. And um, hasn't quite happened in like a broader Hollywood sense, yeah. at least. It, it does seem like the the shot has pretty much been missed at this point. At yeah. this point, she's got one more movie this year, I think. Right, coming out. Does she? I think. Oh yeah, or next year. I forget. Uh, I'll look it up at some point while we're talking. Okay, maybe. But yeah, she's got something else coming out that I was like, "Ooh, this could be the one." Yeah, because um, she because she was Lisbeth Salander in the uh, the Swedish Girl with the Dragon yeah. Tattoo movies, like the original three that like people started like that was one of those like few foreign films that like people got really obsessed with, like that kind of crossed over into semi mainstream. Like yeah. it was like a kind of a cult thing surrounding the foreign versions of those movies, uh, and then the American version came out, uh, like the Hollywood remake, which was basically. Not exactly the same, but it was a very similar movie. Like they, they didn't really change all that much. And it was like, why did we even remake this? Uh, even yeah. though we do have David Fincher, he's great, but it is just weird. But yeah, Numir Pace was Elizabeth Slander and got discovered from that. And she was in Prometheus and like a couple of other movies around this time. And then I, I don't think I've seen her in much in a, in a long time. Um, yeah, I don't think she's in a whole lot. She's in uh, looking at Wikipedia. Bright. <laughs> remember that movie? I, I never uh, saw it, but I remember it. Yeah, I remember Bright. Yeah. That's that's the big one. That's the bright spot on the in the that's filmography. That's the bright spot. Uh, <laughs> Here are the young men. I think is the movie I'm talking about, which has Andy Taylor uh, Joy in it. So okay. <laughs> I think that was the one I was thinking of. That's coming out. Um, yeah, but I don't really remember anything else about it. All right, um, fair enough. Hashtag anyway. justice for for new mirror face. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but all right, so Prometheus, Mike's number five prequel of all time. And uh, my number five is also a movie. It's uh, one of the two movies on my list uh, from 2011. It is X-Men First Class. You've known all along while I was here, Charles. But things have changed. What started as a covert mission, tomorrow mankind will know that mutants exist. Sure, us, they won't differentiate. They'll fear us. And that fear will turn to hatred. Not if we stop a war. Not if we can prevent sure, not if we risk our lives doing so. But they do the same for us. We have it in us to be the better men. We already are. We're the next stage of human evolution. You said it yourself. No, no. Are you really so naive as to think that they won't battle their own extinction? Or is it arrogance? I'm sorry? After tomorrow, they're going to turn on us. Or you're blind, Ted, because you believe they're all like Moira. And you believe they're all like Shaw. Listen to me very carefully, my friend. Killing Shaw will not bring you peace. Peace was never an option. Which is directed by Matthew Vaughn, and uh, in my opinion, my favorite X-Men movie, possibly. Even like more so than Logan, which is Logan's a movie I really, really like. I like Logan a lot. Uh, and I like the Wolverine a lot. And I, I generally like most of the X-Men movies. But uh, I remember when First Class came out, especially this was 2011. And it was right after X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, yeah. which was the worst X-Men movie. Uh, and so you had like the original trilogy of X-Men movies. And then X-Men 3 was like kind of like considered like a weaker one. I kind of like that one, but it was like weaker compared to the first two. Uh, and then X-Men Origins Wolverine comes out and it's terrible. Uh, and so X-Men First Class comes out two years later uh, and takes a few ideas from other movies that they were going to try to make. Like they were going to make an X-Men Origins Magneto movie as well. 
Right. There was going to be a whole, that's X-Men Origins. It's going to be its whole thing, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, and they were like, okay, well, <laughs> like talking about prequels here, like the X-Men trilogy is done. Now let's do a series of prequels about the characters from the X-Men trilogy, right? So you can do an X-Men Origins Wolverine, an X-Men Origins Magneto. Those were the two that they were like really set on making, but they theoretically could have done like X-Men Origins Xavier, X-Men Origins Rogue, like all that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and so X-Men First Class comes out. And I remember like the turnaround on this movie was so quick because it was like 2010 that it was announced. Matthew Vaughn got hired for it right after Kick-Ass came out. Kick-Ass came out in 2010. X-Men First Class came out in 2011. And so it was like a month after Kick-Ass came out. Uh, they hired Matthew Vaughn to basically like take some of the ideas from X-Men Origins Magneto and just kind of like rewrite this, like do whatever you want with the X-Men franchise, just make it a prequel to the original cast. And so he does First Class and he takes young versions of Xavier Magneto, throws him in the 60s, uh, has like a young mystique played by Jennifer Lawrence, like right before she became really big from the Hunger Games. Yeah. Uh, and this movie is like this really cool, just kind of James Bond-esque spy thriller. Uh, the Magneto stuff is incredible that they took over. Like they basically just took scenes from Inglorious Bastards and like put yeah. Magneto in them. <laughs> I, would, I want a five hour spaghetti Western drama <laughs> kind, of like, <laughs> kind of thing that is just... Michael Fassbender, Nazi hunter. Yes. <laughs> Magneto. Yeah. And this was when like Michael Fassbender really broke out, too, because yeah. uh, I mean, he was in Glorious Bastards and he was incredible in that movie. And then he, he joined the X-Men franchise uh, and was just always great. And he started working with Steve McQueen and he was in shame that same year and, you know, all that stuff. He just like started popping up in a lot of things and always being great in them. Just him and McAvoy together and their chemistry was so good together. And, you know, obviously they made several more X-Men movies after this. And, you know, they got kind of increasingly worse as as time went yeah. on. It was Days of Future Past, which I really like, uh, but then it was Apocalypse, which is less good, and then Dark Phoenix, which we ne we never have to speak of ever again. Yeah. Uh, but and you know they kind of did the thing where they jumped decade to decade kind of thing, but I don't think they ever like captured a decade as well as they did the '60s in this movie. Like it's an intrinsic part of the style and the feel of this movie, and like the team they assemble is so much fun. Uh, Kevin Bacon is the villain of the movie. Yeah. I mean, come on, what else do you need? It's, it's X Men First Class, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, the ending of the movie is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, yeah, right? Like, amazing. This is my number four, uh, just to oh, preempt nice. <laughs> pre that. Um, <laughs> while we're here, yeah, I, I love this movie. I think it's the best of that kind of first class saga, whatever they call that now. I don't know. Yeah. And as they do get progressively worse and worse, I just rewatched X-Men Apocalypse a couple weeks ago, a month or so ago, whatever that was. Right. Um, Spurred on by screen drafts, placing it as like number one or something on their uh, uh, podcast in the top five. I won't spoil okay. which one, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's way higher than it should be. But even in bad movies of the that that quadrilogy, the McAvoy Fassbender stuff is the best part. And it's amazing. Oh, yeah. um, so to see that here, I think is really is really fun. I haven't seen this in a long time either. It does have that like, actually, wait a second, very problematic thing uh, of like the one black mutant uh, who can't die dies um, no, he's like the one that dies right? yeah he's the only guy that dies uh, yeah that so is weird like, that's very that's strange super weird that like he's indestructible and then he dies so yikes on whatever that's about uh but yeah having kevin bacon as the villain having it be the cuban missile crisis like what the fuck uh like yeah kennedy is a mutant um right, is that this movie that might be days of future past i, forget. I think that was days of future past because there's a because i remember matthew vaughn was supposed to make days of future past and then he left the pro I think he left to go work on Kingsman uh, uh, instead. Yes. And so Brian Singer came on to uh, come back for Days of Future Past. But like Vaughn's big idea for the sequel was that it would open on 
uh, the Kennedy assassination and that it would show that Magneto was responsible for it. Right. Uh, or, Cause that, that's like why the bullet curved is like Magneto, like messing around with it and stuff, which was sound sounded wild and like pretty in line with what he was doing in first class. And they do allude to that in days of future past. Like they show like they have to, I think they break Magneto out of prison. Right. And so yeah. at some point and you're like, Hey, why are you in jail? It's like, well, you know, the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. I tried <laughs> to stop it. Like he, like he turns out he was trying to stop it kind of thing. Cause Kennedy's a mutant and, all right. that kind of stuff. But uh, they, they do they do allude to that. But that was like his big idea was going to be like the opening scene of the sequel kind of thing. Whoa, that would have been wild. Yeah. Um, but yeah, first class is great. And uh, uh, it's one of the rare. It's far enough removed from the original series that it's like interesting. You know, it's not just like, oh, yeah. we have to set up, explain how they got that thing there. The first one, uh, it's like, you know, just about how they created that school. Uh, it's, you know, it's, far, it's 40 years earlier, 30 years earlier. Uh, yeah. So and so much fun. and so much the movie's dedicated to just like James McAvoy hitting on chicks in bars and like that yeah. kind of thing. Like, it's just really fun to see Professor Xavier in that context, you know? Yeah. <laughs> is that is this the one with the, the when they walk in the bar and it's Logan, right? And he says, fuck. And then, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a, a the great montage of them recruiting mutants for the team. Right. Uh, and so they like go into different places and like at, at a strip club and you see like the girl with the wings and all that kind of stuff. And then the very the last one is Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. And like they come up to him and like, hey, hey, hey. It's like, what do you think? It's like, go fuck yourself. It's like, all right, leave you alone. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to you in 30 years. Um, yes. <laughs> so that, that's my number four. X, uh, X-Men first class. Nice. Uh, also, the only one of these movies, I think that Jennifer Lawrence is giving a good performance. <laughs> oh, yeah. When she got uh, that that Hunger Games money, she was yeah. above. <laughs> well, she I mean, like the year after this, she gets she gets the Hunger Games and also she wins an Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook. Right. Uh, that's right. And so she, she's like suddenly the biggest star in the world because she had like just been discovered like yeah. a year earlier than this with Winter's Bone. Like that was kind of like her big breakout uh, other than the Bill Engvall show, I should say. Oh, she course. was on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Put some naturally. respect on Bill Engvall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she was on the Billing Ball show, then Winter's Bone, and then she was in X-Men First Class, really. There might have been a couple of movies. I think she was in The Beaver around the same time, too. But, like, Winter's Bone was a big breakout for her. She got X-Men First Class. And then, you know, Hunger Games, Silver Linings Playbook happened in the same year. She's the biggest star in the world for the next few years. But, like, she's stuck making X-Men movies that entire time. And, like, yeah. every time every time she's in an X-Men movie after this, it's like, okay, she's spending less and less time in the Mystique makeup. Uh, Wearing she, more clothes as Mystique. Yeah wearing more clothes seems like she really doesn't want to be there, especially by dark Phoenix. It's uh, like yeah. the makeup job is like, okay, we're doing a once over with blue paint and then we're getting out of here. It's like the nightmare on Elm street, Freddy Krueger stuff. It's like by the end, it's just a one piece mask uh, <laughs> instead of individual, like actual makeup. Uh, yes. Uh, reason, absolutely. Reasonable, though. All right. So that is X-Men first class, my number five and Mike's number four. Uh, so a little bit of overlap on the list already, but hopefully that's the last of it. We'll see what happens. Uh, but my number four is not a movie. It's a video game, uh, and this is actually a PlayStation portable game, a PSP game. That's not uh, a real thing. <laughs> There's no way this is going to be real. Uh, oh, no, it's a real game. Like, I mean, it, it's been adapted past the PSP now. Like, I was able to play it on the PS3 later on, I think, and the PS4. As you know, Mike, I'm a huge Kingdom Hearts fan. Ooh, uh, and yes. yeah, and Kingdom Hearts has many, many games exclusively available on many different platforms, all of which were very much canonical to the story and very important for your understanding of the larger <laughs> The larger yeah. story like you needed to have like over the course of the many years of Kingdom Hearts, you needed to have a PS2, a PS4, I think a, a DS, uh, <laughs> a, a PSP, uh, a 3DS, like, you know, several different consoles and portable systems and stuff just to understand everything going on in the Kingdom Hearts games. But I think one of the best games in the series is the game that was released on the PSP in 2010, and that is Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Oh, yeah. Tara, you and I have our Mark of Mastery exams tomorrow. I made us good luck charms. Uh, wow. 
Here. I get one too? Of course. One for each of us. Yeah. Somewhere out there, there's this tree with star-shaped fruit. And the fruit represents an unbreakable connection. So as long as you and your friends carry good luck charms shaped like it, nothing can ever drive you apart. You will always find your way back to each other. Technically, I think you're supposed to make them with seashells. <laughs> but I did the best with what I had. Oi, sometimes you are such a girl. Hey, what do you mean sometimes? So this isn't a real good luck charm? Well, that's yet to be seen. But I did work a little magic on it. Really? What? <laughs> An unbreakable connection. Uh, so, Mike, you're basically like, like you're familiar with Kingdom Hearts as a concept, but you don't know anything about it, right? Yeah, I didn't have it on the uh, PS2, right? Is when the first one came out, probably. The, the original was on the PlayStation 2 in 2002, 19 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I never played that one. Uh, and then by the time it kept going, I became aware that it had like, you know, 25 entries in the series. And I was like, nah, <laughs> like not not interested. Uh, so I never got involved. Um, yeah. But I know I know a lot of people who were deeply invested in it, just like you. Yeah, I mean, the, the original Kingdom Hearts is uh, I still kind of hold it as my favorite game of all time. There are games that I've liked that have probably that are probably better, like theoretically, like, you know, especially comparing it like, you know, that was a PlayStation 2 game from 2002. You know, it's it's a different feel. Like if, if some random kid went to go play it now, like it would play differently than it would for me when I was in 2002 kind of thing. Right. Uh, just because like technology has advanced so much. Uh, but the original Kingdom Hearts still probably my favorite game ever. It's like up there with like Uncharted 2 and Rock Band 2. Those are like my big three. Uh, <laughs> can you tell what era I grew up in, Mike? It's 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 yeah. pretty clear cut. Anyway, after Kingdom Hearts came out, there was a couple of other games. There was Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories on the Game Boy, and then there was Kingdom Hearts 2 uh, on the PlayStation 2. And then for many, many years, there was just like several spinoffs uh, that would happen on different portable systems leading up to the eventual release of Kingdom Hearts 3, which finally happened in 2019. Uh, right. So it, there was like a 13 year gap between Kingdom Hearts 2 and 3. And uh, I actually like got a PlayStation 3 thinking, well, this is going to be a good investment because Kingdom Hearts 3 will be on the PS3. Uh, and it kind of came and went, did not make it on the PS3. But uh, eventually on the PlayStation 4, it did get released. So that was good. But Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep is an interesting game because it's one of the best entries in the series. Uh, and it is basically disconnected from uh, most of the main story like this game takes place 10 years before the events of Kingdom Hearts 1. And so in Kingdom Hearts 1, you're following Sora, you're playing as him and Donald and Goofy, and you're going on your big adventure and uh, doing all this stuff to find Kingdom Hearts and defeat the Heartless and all this stuff. Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep takes a lot of cues from Star Wars, and uh, it does something interesting where it introduces three new characters you've never seen before, uh, Terra, Ventus and Aqua. And uh, what's weird is that Ventus actually looks like a different character in the series, Roxas, uh, but that's never mentioned in this game. Uh, <laughs> like, it's the same same face, same voice actor, never mentioned in the game at all, I don't think. Uh, and that then that kind of like connects back to some other stuff later because he's actually like a version of Ventus is Sora or Sora is Ventus. There's a lot of confusing stuff. Like if I try to sit here and explain Kingdom Hearts, we'll be here all day. But they introduce these three new characters, Terra, Ventus and Aqua. And this game actually has three campaigns. Uh, so there's like three completely different story modes that you play through. Wow. Um, so instead of just like one like long story, you basically have like the same you play the same game three times, but from three different perspectives and go on like three different journeys. And, and every once in a while, those journeys like intersect and you can like coincide. Uh, mm -hmm. And so you kind of like you start off with 
with like Tara, who's like this like kind of big dude who's a little bit unsure of himself, but is like, you know, wants to make his mark of mastery. He wants to be like a master of whatever it is they're masters of. It's been a while since I played it. Uh, <laughs> of, of having a kingdoms of hearts. Yes, exactly. Uh, and then Ventus is like this, you know, reckless kid who's going on his own adventure. And Aqua is like kind of the level headed one. And uh, they're all kind of searching for each other and eventually kind of make their way back. The main villain of the movie is Xehanort or the main villain of the game is Master Xehanort, who is played by Leonard Nimoy. Uh, in this game. Uh, and then when Leonard Nimoy died, he was replaced by Rutger Hauer in Kingdom Hearts 3. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely nuts. And Mark Hamill actually plays a uh, master Ericus, who is like the lead, like the master of Terra Ventus and Aqua. Uh, and it just does a really fun job of like exploring Disney worlds, but also balancing its own actual story. And I think the best Kingdom Hearts games are the ones that play more heavily into the original story than it does messing around with all the Disney worlds type stuff. Because there are Kingdom Hearts games where you like, are doing your thing and then you land on a Disney world and you just play through the story of the movie. Uh, right. and so like the game's narrative just like kind of halts dead. So you can watch Elsa sing, let it go. Uh, <laughs> and it's very frustrating, <laughs> um, but Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep does a pretty good job of balancing that. Cause you got to go through each world three times with three different characters. Uh, so you have like different like perspectives to deal with and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. It's a good game. I think one of the better Kingdom Hearts games. And uh, it's not just available on PSP anymore. Uh, you can play it on like PS4. Like they ported it over there. So it's easily accessible uh, because nobody owns a, P- a PlayStation Portable anymore. Uh, uh, it's, it's the only reason I had a PSP. I bought a PSP off my friend for 20 bucks so that I could play Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep back in the day. <laughs> Amazing. I think there's a whole a whole like shakeup with the PSP store and stuff and Sony right now. I think I had heard about that. Yeah, they're like, yeah, we're just going to delete this, <laughs> like just shut it down. Yeah. Not enough people give a shit about this. And so we're getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Which is like awful from like a uh, archi- archival uh, oh, yeah. perspective. Like you're just going to delete entire generation of games. I mean, granted, yeah. if it's a PSP, but still, uh, that's pretty wild. Um, yeah, absolutely. I haven't heard, I wonder wonder how that shook out. I, I didn't hear anything about it recently. But yeah, anyway, if, if, uh, King, Kingdom Hearts is is something like I said I'm afraid to get into uh, because it's just uh, too much. That's fair. <laughs> At this point. And, it's, and it's also one like I'm not even sure you would be that into it. Like I feel like it's something you have to have like gotten right. into when you were eight uh, and still be like invested in it. And e- even then, like it does. Like they test my patience after a while. <laughs> like I was very excited for Kingdom Hearts three. That's a game I waited 13 years for. And then I was kind of like, I wouldn't say underwhelmed, but whelmed by the game overall. Yeah. Uh, that's the one where you have to watch Elsa sing, let it go. Mm. Basically, uh, it, they do feel like uh, as time has gone on, Disney's like kind of taken a, a stronger controlling stance on them. Uh, Cause before they used to get like really weird and dark and philosophical. And like, those were kind of the fun ones uh, to me. And then now it's like, okay, now we got a mandate. We got to do a frozen world and a tangled world. Like it's going through all the most popular worlds Yeah. now, like going through all, like whatever the big Disney movies are, those, those are the kingdom hearts uh, worlds that we're going to be visiting. But like back in the day, they used to do like, you know, monstro from Pinocchio was a world like the whale from Pinocchio. You can go through him or like, uh, what's one of like the weirder Kingdom Hearts worlds? I mean, there's the Pirates of the Caribbean world, which is weird. Uh, there's a Tron worlds in Kingdom Hearts too. Like, you know, Fuck yeah, weird shit that you go through. <laughs> you know, that's cool. A Steamboat Willie world. That was one of my favorites. There's like a, a world based on like the Steamboat Willie old school Mickey Mouse shorts. Yeah, uh, which is fun. But uh, anyway, Kingdom Hearts: Birth by Sleep is my number four prequel of all time. Nice, I like it. My number three. Uh, speaking of. Uh, dark and philosophical and strange. Uh, my number three is uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Nice. <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, the follow up to this show that uh, David Lynch did. He directed a movie called Fire Walk With Me that is uh, set 
right before the pilot. <laughs> Basically, it ends right up to the pilot. And it kind of chronicles, uh, you know, Dale Cooper is is on. Uh, I forget what the I can't remember any of the names. The case, like who who he's tracking before. Like Teresa Banks or something like that. Something Teresa, like Teresa that. Palmer or no, Laura, Palmer. Teresa, Laura Palmer. I think it's like Teresa Banks. It's whoever I meant, like the killer, like whatever's going on. Remember in oh, the, yeah. the pilot of the movie, he finds, you know, the the like number or letter under Laura's fingernails. uh, Yes. And like who, whatever that case is, um, is what's going on with Dale Cooper. So it's not quite connected per se to Laura Palmer yet. Uh, And of course the like last half of the movie uh, kind of explains the the days before Laura's death and what was going on in her life. And like the, the fucking wild circumstances that lead up to her death and the like underground life that she lived. And yeah, it's, it's nothing like the TV show at all. (laughs) Like, you know, the the TV show, especially season one is a pretty lighthearted kind of, well, I mean, it's dark and weird because it is David Lynch and it's a a police procedural, but it, uh, you know, has moments of levity and, and Dale Cooper's just absolute earnest goofiness. Uh, and that's sort of here in, in Firewalk with me, but it is basically a straight up horror movie. Uh, Oh yeah especially the last 45 minutes uh, where it's just flashing lights like a strobe light in a bar and like unintelligible industrial metal uh, to the point where the the whole last half of the movie is subtitled because you can't hear the characters talking. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's just that it's David Lynch. It's it's um, David Bowie shows up for a bit. That's fun. Philip Jeffries. Pre tea kettle days. Pre tea kettle. Yeah, the OG. (laughs) And I haven't seen this in a while either. I watched it probably in while I was in grad school, like in 2015, 16 ish, uh, right after I kind of finished the series because I had watched season one. I watched half of season two, which is kind of like the conventional, like, ah, you can stop after they solve the murder kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, which I think is like episode might be like 10 out of 20 or eight or something like that. Yeah. Season two. Like the entire back half of season two is without David Lynch's involvement, except for the finale. Right. Exactly. Uh, so I never went back and finished it. And then some one of my friends was like, you, sh- you should do it. It's worth it. Trust me. So I started it over and watched all the way through the end. And then I was like, well, I'm here. I got to watch. I got to watch Firewalk with me. And it's amazing. Uh, and of course, you know, that was before the return was announced. So that was exciting. But yeah, so number number three, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Nice. Uh, I will refrain from saying anything because it might pop up on my list a little bit later. Ah, interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. <laughs> Mike's... Of the two movies that you had. <laughs> <laughs> Both of them with a bullet on your yeah. list. <laughs> uh, but all right, so I'll be talking about that in a little bit. But uh, that is Mike's number three, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. My number three is a TV series uh, and one that I think is genuinely one of the best prequels of all time because it is making fun of the idea of prequels. Uh, and that is Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp. Look what we found in the woods. A pair of swim trunks covered in shit. Any idea who these belong to? No. That's weird. Because the name tag says Kevin Appleblatt on it. Yeah, you pants-shitting liar. It wasn't me, I swear. Oh, really, Kevin? Can you explain to everyone here how your bathing suit ended up in the woods with shit all over it? If you didn't do it, someone must have stolen it. Who? Uh, I don't know, but someone obviously stole it and took a shit in it. That is the only logical explanation. So you're saying someone came into your bunk, stole your bathing suit, took a dookie in it, and hid it in the woods? Yes. What kind of psycho would do that? I would! Who the hell are you? I'm Miss Patty Pancakes, and I like to defecate in other people's clothing. It's my thing, and I'm not ashamed of it. If you're not ashamed, why'd you hide it? Because 
because it's a game! Yeah, and that's not the only treasure. I've taken shits in many of your bathing suits, and it's your boys' jobs to find out which ones they are. Isn't that fun? It's disgusting. Well, when you're my age, you'll look back on this, and it will all make sense. Until then, happy hunting! I was wrong about this one, okay? It was Miss Patty Pancakes who took a shit in your bathing suit. I still got my eye on you. And uh, as you know, Mike, I'm a huge Wild Hot American Summer fan. I love that you've, movie. You've mentioned it. Yes, I've mentioned it many times. I think I mentioned it in our MacGruber episode. Like it's, <laughs> yes, it's one, a movie like MacGruber that I've just seen a million times over and over again. I think I first watched that movie my like, freshman year of college and uh, just got like obsessed with it. Like I, I think I watched it the first time. I thought it was funny, like, you know, pretty good, whatever. And then I ended up seeing it a second time and like, wait, I think I've unlocked something here. And yeah. I just like went back and like kept watching Wet Hot American Summer and was very, very into that movie for a few years. And then David Wayne announced that uh, they were making a TV show, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp. So the movie Wet Hot American Summer takes place on the last day of camp. Uh, right. And this show takes place two months earlier on the first day of camp. The entire cast of the movie is back for this show, but all of them are about 15 years older than they were in the movie. Amazing. <laughs> so they're technically playing younger versions of all their characters, but they look much, much older and they play that up too. like for all, all the characters in the show. Like Michael Showalter looks terrible in Wild American Summer Amazing. first day of camp. Uh, and I think it's mostly like they wanted to play that up a little bit, just like that in-joke kind of thing of like, this is a prequel, but we're also much older than we used to be. Uh, <laughs> and the show is super funny. It's like such a perfect return to that insane world and, you know, that style of humor, which I love. And David Wayne and Michael Showalter, I'm pretty sure, wrote and directed every episode together. I think Wayne directed every episode and they co-wrote each episode. And yeah, the entire original cat. Did you ever see First Day of Camp, Mike? No, uh, I never watched it because I've only seen the movie a few times and it okay. like it's it's not connected with me. I mean, I still love it, but it's not connected the way that you it has with you. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't particularly feel like a need <laughs> to go back and watch first day. <laughs> Fair of camp. enough. Fair enough. I mean, I'm just a big fan. Like, I'll watch whatever David Wayne does, pretty much. Uh, and yeah. so, first first day of camp, I was very excited for because it was this, like, return to, I think, his best movie and one of my all-time favorites. Uh, and it really delivers. You know, there, there's still a lot of moments from that show that I do kind of call back on. I've, I think I've watched it through twice. And even in the MacGruber episode, I do talk about the show a little bit um, because I mentioned, like, you know, with the upcoming MacGruber show coming out, I'm wondering, like, how much that's going to connect with me at, on the same level as MacGruber the movie did because a movie is much easier to rewatch than a TV show. Uh, right. like if a movie's great and you can rewatch it, the movie's an hour and a half, TV show could potentially be like four to five hours out of your day if you're watching like one of these streaming shows. And I think First Day of Camp I've watched like twice through at this point. Uh, but there are still many moments in the show that do like, I, I think back on and laugh or I'll, I'll like rediscover stuff on YouTube and find clips of, uh, but yeah. And like, like they got everybody back for this. Like Bradley Cooper came back wow. for first day of camp and like Paul Rudd is back. Like this is the same summer that Ant-Man came out that he yeah. was doing first day of camp, which is wild and all that stuff. So uh, yeah, wet hot American summer, first day of camp. They did another show a couple years later uh, called wet hot American summer, 10 years later, which is also good, but I, I think it's uh it's not quite as good as first day of camp. Like I think they really captured like a lot of lightning in a bottle with this show and just the insane, like the insane amount of like guest stars they were able to throw in there uh, and like subplots and like crazy, like, you know, they, they go into the idea of prequels. You know, there's a whole backstory for Elizabeth Banks's character who in the movie is just like, you know, the hot blonde girl that Paul Rudd makes out with. That's like right. her entire character in Wet Back Summer is just that. Uh, and the first day of camp, it's revealed that she's like 
uh, an undercover journalist who's writing an expose <laughs> on <laughs> on like the you know the history of summer camps or whatever and like what's going on like with teenagers here and all that stuff and it, it it it's so funny and it genuinely adds like a lot of depth to that character but also it's the most ridiculous shit uh that you've ever seen uh and it's great and it also ends with like this like Ronald Reagan is involved uh, and there's like a nuclear war that like almost breaks out between like Camp Firewood and all that kind of stuff uh Michael Showalter plays Ronald Reagan of course Incredible. Uh, and it's awesome so yeah well had American summer first day of camp directed by David Wayne 2015 it's on Netflix right now and uh if you've seen the movie and not seen the show uh, worth watching. It's great. I'll have to check that out. Uh, while we're talking about Michael Showalter, I just saw recently last week, I think it was announced that uh, Jeff Goldblum joined Search Party for season five. So yes, start watching. Mike. <laughs> I, I've been meaning to for such a long time. This might be the thing that gets me to do it. Uh, yes. Good. <laughs> good. Yes. I know you, you like just got into Search Party recently, right, Mike? Uh, yeah, the, uh, over the, or it's like the spring, maybe. I don't remember exactly when it was, but uh, I watched all four seasons on HBO Max uh, with my friends <laughs> in like two weeks. Nice. Uh, so definitely, definitely a big recommend on uh, Search Party and I guess what Hot American Summer first day of camp. Yes, indeed. All right. What's your uh, number two prequel of all time, Mike? My number two prequel of all time is one the one that I rewatched uh, like last week or maybe over the weekend. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was definitely the day I uh, came home. It must have been actually it might have been the day of the wedding. So Saturday I came downstairs. You know, we got we don't have to be at the church till two o'clock or have to leave till two o'clock, you know, 10 o'clock or whatever. And my dad's on the couch. Watching the end of well, like on HDNet, I think I talked about recently <laughs> um, some random movie and it rolled right into the movie that I think is always best described as, you know, technically this is a prequel and that's <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. <laughs> nice. um, Inside are the remains of Nuhachi, first emperor of Manchu dynasty. Welcome home, old boy. And now, you give me the diamond. Are you trying to develop a sense of humor, or am I looking deaf? (laughs) (laughs) What's that? Antidote. To what? The poison you just drank up. <laughs> and we rewatched it and I hadn't seen that in a really long time. Uh, and what a blast. Temple of Doom's great. It starts with a like just absolute sh- crazy shootout in the like, I think it's Shanghai they're in, right? Or some, yes. some bar. Um, well, don't, don't sell it short, Mike. It actually starts the musical number and then oh, it gets yeah, into okay. the shootout. <laughs> that devolves into a shootout. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what, what, a, what a blast. And, you know, every, every, everybody knows everything about Temple of Doom. Uh, and it's a movie that I hadn't really thought about in a while. Uh, and I just rewatched it. So then you were like, prequels. And I was like, well, technically it's a prequel. So yeah. <laughs> it counts. Uh, it takes place the year before Raiders does. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I threw that on there. And I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily have a favorite Indiana Jones uh, movie out of the three, <laughs> out of the first three. Because um, I haven't, I kind of see them all all the time anyway, but not not like a, in an obsessive kind of way where, you know, like Jaws, I will watch all the time to the point where I watched sure. it. And then three days later, watched it again at Colin's uh, Colin's house. But I feel like Temple of Doom might be the one I've seen the most. Really? And I don't necessarily know if it's the one I like the most, but I just feel like it was kind of always around somehow uh, growing up. And I just watched it the most times. So, yeah, t- t- Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. 
Yeah, Tem- a Temple of Doom. I mean, it's a, a I do think it's like the weakest of those original three Indiana Jones movies. I, I always go back and forth on whether I like it more than Kingdom of Crystal Skull or not, um, because I because I am a big apologist for Indiana Jones four. I like that movie quite a bit. Uh, but but like one and three are like obviously like the the great ones to me, I think. But Temple yeah. of Doom has so much fun stuff in it. It has the, you know, the Kali Ma, the heart pulling thing. It has Short Round, who's a blast. Uh, I, yeah. I always hated Willie. Like, I, I think Willie is a very annoying character, but it does have a couple of fun moments, too. Uh, but it, it also has the minecart chase, which is the best. I mean, you know, can't, you can't like, beat that. I feel like minecarts were invented to lead up to that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that sequence 100 years after their invention or whatever. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like when I was 10 or whatever, like and I saw Temple of Doom, I was like fantasizing about a roller coaster or something yeah. uh, that that would have that, which I think like the Indiana Jones ride in Disneyland is like something similar to the minecart chase in Temple of Doom. I'm not sure. I've never been to Disneyland, so I wouldn't know. Temple of Doom is a very fun movie. I like it. You know, it's weird because it's kind of like this is the 80s, this is 84. So this is pre-Star Wars prequels. Um, right. But it, it and it takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark. The only reason it takes place before Raiders is because I think they didn't want to bring back uh, Marion from Raiders. They didn't want to bring back Karen Allen. Yeah. Um, like they, they, I think they had the like idea that like, oh, Indiana Jones is sort of like a James Bond type thing where like there's a new girl in every movie kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at the end of Raiders, it's like pretty definitively like, oh, it's Indy and Marion. They're happily ever after. And they're like, I guess we can't like break that up. Let's yeah. make it a prequel. Like, let's, let's let's say it takes place the year before. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Yeah, and that's really the only like there's not many like prequely things about it, although there is one like kind of quick gag in Temple of Doom that I do really like, uh, which kind of plays off a gag from Raiders, which is uh, the scene in Raiders where you have the swordsman come out and he does the whole big swords thing. And Indiana Jones like whips out his gun and shoots him. Right. And it's yeah. you know, one, one of the coolest things in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's the best. Uh, totally improvised by Harrison Ford on set, apparently, because right. uh, he was like sick that day and didn't want to do the whole fight choreography that they had <laughs> that they had mapped <laughs> yeah. out. So he's like, why don't I just shoot him? And he did. And it was great. Uh, and in Temple of Doom, they play on that scene where they have like another like swordsman guy like come out and like does the whole thing again. It's two it, swordsmen. It's two swordsmen. Yeah, you're right. And they do the whole thing. And Indiana Jones reaches for his gun and it's not there. Uh, yeah. And it's and it's one of those things. It's like, oh, this was a learning experience for Indiana Jones. Now he knows to always have his gun in his holster. There it is. <laughs> so it's one of the one of the few like prequel explanation things that like you don't exactly need, uh, but it is a, like a fun thing where it's like, oh yeah, that kind of makes sense now. There you go. <laughs> Look at that, the thing from the first movie. <laughs> yeah. So Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a good pick for your number two, Mike. And then my number two is the movie you mentioned before, uh, Twin Peaks: Fire Walk with Me. Federal Bureau of Investigation, Special Agent Chet Desmond. I'd like to ask you a few questions about Teresa Banks. Jack said you knew her. How well? She only worked here a month. Nice girl. Never seemed to get here on time, though. You ask me. She had a little problem with... (laughs) Do you ever see Teresa Banks take cocaine? No. Do you ever take cocaine, Irene? No, I do not. I never took cocaine or any other drug. I don't take drugs. Nicotine's a drug. Caffeine's a drug. Who's the towhead? Those drugs are legal. He's with me. Is there anything you'd like to tell us about Teresa Banks that might help us out? I've been thinking about that. 
he asked me. Her death was what you'd call a freak accident. And uh, yeah, not too much else to say about Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. Uh, I think this is a really great movie. Uh, this was like the first movie I watched in 2017, I think, because I had just finished watching Twin Peaks for the first time. Right. Uh, and I was like pretty amped for Twin Peaks The Return. I was like, oh, man, David Lynch is back. It's been 10 years since he's made anything uh, and he's doing Twin Peaks. And uh, I got to watch you know the original Twin Peaks. And so I did and fell in love with it. Uh, and then Firewalk with me, I watched on, like New Year's Day 2017. Uh, really set the tone for the whole year, I think. Um, yeah, <laughs> but but I, I think this movie is uh, it's really fascinating because, you know, Twin Peaks ends on a major cliffhanger in season two. Like the show is canceled and like, you know, it's just like what happened to Dale Cooper, right? Like uh, what what's right. going on? He's smashing his head against the window. He's like, well, who's Annie? Where's Annie? And all that kind of stuff. When David Lynch was like, oh, I'm going to make a movie to Twin Peaks. Uh, I think the natural <laughs> assumption would be oh well he's making a movie to wrap up all the loose ends that happened at the end of the show like he's going to make a sequel that like answers everything and we can all move on with our lives which is what almost any other filmmaker television creator artist whatever would do right like that seems yeah. like the natural logical conclusion and that is decidedly not what david lynch did with twin peaks firewalk yeah. with me and instead made a prequel about the days leading up to laura palmer's death and i really love the ballsiness of that and i really love that it gave cheryl lee this like big showcase because she's somebody who is really great on twin peaks as laura palmer but obviously not in as much of it as a lot of the other cast because her character is dead in episode one. You know? Right. <laughs> and, and then so, she's the cousin just because everybody loved her oh, so much. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 She plays like Maddie uh, on the show and that's very fun too. But like as Laura, like she, like just in that look, those like brief glimpses of Laura you get in videotapes or like, yeah. you know, the visions that you have of Laura, like she's so like locked in to that character. Uh, and so Firewalk With Me really gives her a showcase, uh, which is great. They do recast Lara Flynn Boyle, which is weird. <laughs> Yeah, like she's just like not the same actress, which is odd. And it's, I think it's why that character doesn't doesn't appear in Twin Peaks The Return, um, because it would be like, uh, which which Donna do you choose kind of thing, kind yeah. of thing. Uh, but I also think Firewalk With Me, like at the time, was a very polarizing movie. I think plays better now that The Return exists, um, especially because it ties into The Return much more than the original show does, I think. Yeah, it's much more of the same tone to yes. The Return than it is of the show. Yeah, like I, I remember when the return was coming out, I think people were like, like a lot of original Twin Peaks fans were like, I don't really get this. I don't like understand what like what this is. And then people who are like more fans of Twin Peaks Firewalk with me is like, this is the best thing of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was a huge fan of Twin Peaks The Return. And I think Firewalk with me, like it's one of those like essential things that you should watch before you watch The Return, because The Return will make a lot less sense if you don't watch it. Yeah. Uh, and The Return is already like a pretty difficult, like, difficult thing to parse you know but i remember mm -hmm. like my brother was pretty into, got pretty into twin peaks for a bit and he really loved like the first season of the show and like the halfway through and you know got halfway through and like, kind of struggled through the last half of season two like the exact same story everyone has with twin peaks yeah uh, and then he just jumped right into the return because he didn't know there was a movie uh, uh and and he was just like he wasn't really digging it and i was like did you watch firewalk with me and he's like what is that and, he's, and so he I don't, i'm not even sure if he watched it yet uh but yeah twin peaks firewalk with me it's very good. And I'm throwing it out there as my number two prequel of all time. Yeah, I was going to say a thing about Twin Peaks and I can't remember what it is. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. If you think of it, you can throw back out there. But uh, yes. Mike, what is your number one prequel of all time? Uh, my number one prequel of all time is going to tie into, uh, you know, we're doing we're doing the countdown here because Black Widow, uh, because of Marvel. Uh, yeah, but we're going to talk about 
the uh, team-up movie, the franchise that got there one year before the Avengers did, and that is <laughs> Fast Five. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, <laughs> I uh, I did not even consider that Fast Five would be a prequel. <laughs> what an absolute fool you are, Mike, because it's the number one <laughs> best prequel of all time. <laughs> Let's run through the bases real quick. Who do we got? First, we're gonna need a chameleon. Someone who can blend in anywhere. What else? A fast talker. Someone who can bullshit their way out of anything. I got that. This guy's gonna have a lot of surveillance. We're gonna need someone who's good with circuits. I'm on. And with those circuits, Reyes is gonna have walls. We're gonna need guys to punch through those walls. What else? Utilities and weapons. Someone who ain't afraid to throw down. Someone to back up every position. Yeah, what else we need? Most importantly, we're gonna need two precision drivers. Guys that don't crack under pressure. Guys that never lose. You know we got that. You are correct. You you are correct. You are technically correct, which is the best kind of correct. The best um, kind of correct. Yeah. Also, you know, technically, this is a prequel. Uh, applies to to uh, so many of these movies in the Fast and Furious franchise for yes. some reason. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the best heist movies, I think, especially of the last 20 years. Um, I don't know what else has come out. Well, I guess there's the Oceans movies. We're following that, right? I don't remember when those came out. That, that was like 2001 was the first Oceans. So, yeah, right in that time. Yeah. Just made it. Uh, but yeah, absolute blast. And to do the big team up movie for the the franchise that kind of like the, the little franchise that could somehow like, you know, by the time Tokyo Drift comes around, nobody's back. Uh, this is going to for sure just end up being a throwaway, you know, straight to video franchise after this. Right. It's kind of what you, it feels like when you're watching that movie. Yep. Uh, and then you get that little cameo. Uh, and we've talked we talked about it a lot before. Uh, that was so he could get Riddick, right? For Vin yes. Diesel. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll recap this. Uh, I can't yeah. So Vin Diesel shows up at the end of Tokyo Drift, and the whole reason he did because he left Fast and Furious after the original movie. He right. they, they wanted to make a sequel, and he was like, "No, I'm too big of a star now." Uh, and he goes on to make Triple X and the Chronicles of Riddick. Right. Uh, and the thing about Vin Diesel. Like, he's been a major part of several franchises. He's got Fast and Furious, Triple X, Riddick, Guardians of the Galaxy. The one he likes the most is Riddick. And it's the one that nobody else likes but him. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I say that that jostingly because I I, I do like Pitch Black. And I actually haven't seen the third Riddick, but I heard it was pretty good. You know, I I think there are fans of the Riddick series, but it, it does seem like there's less popular support for the Riddick movies than there is for anything else he's ever done. And it's the one he's most committed to. (laughs) He loves Riddick. Uh, And when he left Fast and Furious, he did Chronicles of Riddick. It was a big bomb. It critically did not do well, Uh, but he really still wanted to make a third one. He wanted to make another Riddick. Uh, And so he cut a deal with the studio for him to return for a fourth Fast and Furious movie in exchange for them 
making a Riddick movie with him. Like, to right. make another Riddick movie. The, that's the reason he and the entire main cast returned for Fast and Furious. Like, once he came back on board, the entire rest of the cast came back uh, with Paul Walker and Michelle Rodriguez and Jordana Brewster. He shows up at the end of Tokyo Drift as, like, a sign of good faith. They're like, hey, Dom's going to be back in the next one. Like, they're going right. to bring back Vin Diesel. Uh, and so Fast and Furious comes out, and uh, it's a pretty solid hit financially. Uh, I don't think it's, like, super well-received critically, but it does pretty well, like, financially because they bring back the whole cast. And so... Fast Five is born. Uh, Fast Five is born. We <laughs> catapulted to the stars. Uh, yes, for, and they, and they bring back everyone. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, the, the yeah, I mean, the billion dollar franchise is, is born out of Fast Five. I think for them for this movie, for this franchise. Oh yeah, and we get we add the Rock. We get we just everybody's back, uh, and it is barely connected <laughs> by the thinnest threads to the original movies. The first four. Uh, for some reason, Han's here, even though he died, for sure died in Tokyo Drift. And then yes. we have to do the running bit at the end of every movie. Are we going to Tokyo yet? No, not yet. Wink uh, kind of thing with his <laughs> yeah. character. Um, yes, that was my thing in uh, Black Widow. I was hoping that uh, in Black Widow, they would be like, uh, like wistfully looking off at a distance, like, let's go to that Infinity War out there. Like, let's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I hope Red Skull's not around still. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Fast Five, uh, absolute blast, and it's hilarious, and and it's the that moment where they're like, we need we need to get our team together, and it's like the montage of all of them showing up in Rio. It's like oh, the yeah. coolest shit ever. This movie is an absolute blast, and uh, this is kind of a joke to put it at number one, but uh, as I just rewatched all the Fast and the Furious movies twice in the last six months. And I narrowly dodged a bullet of watching it a third time this weekend at Collins <laughs> um, because he hasn't seen all of them. Uh, he's only seen two now or three. Yeah. If you count. He also saw Hobbs and Shaw and we were going to do it. We were going to marathon all of them, but uh, th- we would have to pay for three, four, five, six and seven to rent. You're like, that's too much. That's too much effort. If these were all on HBO Max, we for sure would have watched all of them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Fast Five, my number one favorite prequel of all time, because it's the yes. thing that shouldn't absolutely shouldn't be a prequel. But it is perfect because. Of yes. It. Yeah. And to make it clear exactly why it is a prequel, uh, this movie takes place before Tokyo Drift. Right. Uh, I'm not sure if we said that before, but uh, yeah, four five and six all take place before Tokyo Drift. And then seven takes place after Tokyo Drift. And from that point on, it's seven, eight, nine, uh, whatever. You still haven't seen F9 yet. I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah, yeah I was oh, busy. Man. been busy this whole time. I yeah. can't make Colin watch the ninth movie that he, of a <laughs> franchise he's never seen. <laughs> I strongly considered uh, because I, I saw I, I went to go see the original Fast and Furious uh, at the AMC a few months ago. Uh, and I took my girlfriend with me who had never seen any of them. Uh, so she saw the original and we didn't ca- we didn't keep up with the, like a, any kind of rewatch or anything after that. Uh, but then I went to go see F9 and I was strongly considering making my girlfriend come with me uh, just to like <laughs> have watched only the first and the ninth one and see like <laughs> how, how you, do you think we got. How do you think yeah. we got here? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but if you're a Tokyo Drift fan, uh, no spoilers, but you're going to be happy with F9. I think there's uh, some, uh, some in the fun. Trailer. Some fun Tokyo Drift stuff uh, in there. Yes, it's in the trailer, of course, but uh, definitely uh, worth checking out. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Fast Five, a, a good choice for your number one pick, Mike. Uh, one I Thanks, hadn't Mike. even considered uh, because it's just so preposterous. Uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Got there a year before the Avengers. Exactly. Uh, all right. And I, I do remember like that scene when they have the team assembling and stuff, when you see like Tyrese and Ludacris and stuff. Uh, when I watched Fast Five for the first time, like I hadn't really liked any of the Fast and Furious movies up to that point. I thought the first one was OK and like wasn't really into two, three and four. Um, and when I was watching Fast Five and like all these characters started showing up from movies I disliked, but I got yeah. so pumped when they showed up. I was like, oh, this movie's doing something special. This movie's doing something yeah. really good. <laughs> <laughs> they figured something out about this movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but all right. So that's Fast Five. Mike's number one prequel of all time. 
And uh, my number one prequel of all time is uh, is technically one that is not finished yet, but it is TV series, a prequel to arguably one of the greatest uh, TV dramas of all time. I'm talking about Better Call Saul. Who the hell are you? Mr. Acker, my name is Saul Goodman. I'm an attorney. I've had it up to here with you Mesa Verde scumbags. Get bent. I'm not representing Mesa Verde. In fact, I'd like to represent you, sir. I don't need a lawyer. I don't want a lawyer. Nothing you can say is going to change my mind. Now move your damn foot. Sir, if you would just, just please just take a look at my proposal, okay? Because I think you'll find it persuasive. I don't just want it. Just look at it, sir. Just look. What do you see? A man... Horse. Sir, I hate Mesa Verde. I hate them looking down at us from their glass tower. They think they can on whoever they want, and we just have to smile and say thank you. Look, picture me as the man and Mesa Verde as the horse. I'm the guy who'll do whatever it takes to stick it to them. Guess who's got a new client in Tuco Carey? What? That's right. Put some beers on ice. We'll celebrate when I get back from the hinterlands. Yes, that's the best news I've heard all day. How the hell did you convince him? Uh, uh, visual aids. You'd be surprised what you can find on that internet. So, Chinese tonight? Uh, uh. Created by Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould. Of course, a prequel slash spinoff to Breaking Bad, uh, which is set to air its final season next year. Uh, so next year will be the final season of Better Call Saul. Uh, so technically, the story is not complete yet. But I feel like five seasons is enough for me to say, like, this show fucking rocks and it is the best prequel ever made. <laughs> that seems reasonable. Yeah, uh, it is so, so good. And, uh, you know, I, I have been following Better Call Saul since the beginning. Uh, I was a huge Breaking Bad fan. I think I, think I caught up with Breaking Bad uh, right before it was right before season five came out. So it was like pretty close to the end of Breaking Bad's run. Like I, I bought like all four seasons on Blu-ray and like I binged them all. Uh, watched season five, like the first half live and the second half live because I split it up by like a year. Uh, but that was like, you know, Breaking Bad was such a phenomenon. And I remember when they announced that Better Call Saul was a show they were going to make. I was like, this sounds like the stupidest fucking idea yeah. <laughs> they could ever do uh, because, you know, prequels notoriously very difficult to do. Uh, movies slash shows centered around like the one kind of comedic character who's like, you know, supposed to kind of pop off from the sides. Also, historically, not great. Like when uh, Pirates of the Caribbean made a Jack Sparrow, like, you know, cut out Elizabeth and uh, Will and just became about Jack Sparrow and Pirates 4 and 5. Way worse. Way worse. They're so bad. You yeah. know, I feel uh, like or, that used to happen so much in like early sitcoms or it's oh, like yeah. going to spin off. Well, I can't think of any off the top of my head. Joni and Chachi, right? That became its own thing. From sure. Yeah. I mean, there, days, there's right? yeah. And there there are a ton of spinoffs that are just like that. And for every one that works like a Frasier or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Cheers goes into Frasier for every Frasier. There's like 10 the Tortellis, you know, like there's <laughs> <laughs> that's the other Cheers spinoff, which lasted one season. That's about Carla's husband. Uh, wow. And uh, I've never seen it. But I can imagine a show about Carl's husband is terrible. <laughs> like, yeah. That sounds like a terrible idea. Uh, but yeah, and like Happy Days had a million spinoffs and some of them were successful. There was like Mork and Mindy uh, right. was like, was also a Happy Day spinoff, which is weird uh, considering that Mork and Mindy is about aliens and Happy Days was not. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> I don't think I knew uh, that. That's fucking oh, yeah. wild. Yeah, I've, I've seen the because uh, as a kid, I was pretty into Robin Williams. And uh, I think I went to Blockbuster and rented the first season of Mork and Mindy. 
because uh, I was that kid and yeah. uh, went home and watched Mork and Mindy. And it's just like the pilot episode of Mork and Mindy is like a re-airing of the Happy Days episode that they appear in. Um, uh, or like or it's like a it takes like a large clip from that and like makes that the bulk of the episode. And so it's like Fonzie's walking into a room and like Robin Williams is there as Morgan. It's like, hey, it's an alien. Whoa. Like, like it's <laughs> it's a bizarre show. Um, but yeah, so the history of like, you know, spinoffs like that, it's it's very sketchy at best. And like considering Breaking Bad was like this prestige TV drama, like it just didn't seem like the kind of show that should get a spinoff. Like, it, you know, when you think of like TV spinoffs, you think of like network stuff. Mostly you think of like right. sitcoms or like police procedurals. Like, you know, there's like three or four CSI shows and that kind of thing. Uh, and then Better Call Saul, just centering a show around Bob Odenkirk as Saul Goodman uh, or Jimmy McGill, as it's revealed that he is actually named uh, in the show. It ended up being one of the best moves that could have ever possibly made. It is uh, in some ways a better show than Breaking Bad. I don't think I'd ever say it is like fully a better show than Breaking Bad. Like Breaking Bad was such a singular thing. But this show is like just so sure of itself and so clean. And like it's it's so methodical and slow in its storytelling. Uh, and Breaking Bad was like, you know, could be that. But it was also a pretty propuls- propulsive show when it needed to be. And Better mm-hmm. Call Saul just like kind of exists in the shadows. Like it exists in the subtleties and the margins and stuff. Like it's closer to Mad Men, I think, than it is to Breaking Bad a lot of the time. But it is also deeply tied into Breaking Bad. And so while it's still a prequel about Jimmy McGill and Saul Goodman, uh, it is also about uh, Mike Ehrmantraut. And they bring in Gus Fring at one at, at a certain point. Uh, and it becomes about like the building of Gus's meth empire, like in the background of it. Uh, and it's a show that like, I know people who watch Better Call Saul that didn't watch Breaking Bad. Uh, And it's just an interesting show, like on its own, like on that level. And so I think that's kind of the mark of a great like prequel is that, hey, you can watch this without having watched the other thing, still get everything. But if you watch the other thing, you get more out of it, sort of like you understand more about where everything's going on Better Call Saul. uh, And all the references to Breaking Bad are really well placed and like well thought out. uh, And all the characters that like kind of show up in like bit parts here and there, you're like, oh, my God, like there's there's one episode in um, Better Call Saul where uh, the character from Breaking Bad who appears in like one scene towards the end of the show who's like eating chicken nuggets and then dies. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, that guy shows up in Better Call Saul. Like, that guy's there. Wow. Uh, the guy t- he, testing the flavors with the chicken nuggets? Is that it, it, it does kind of like call back to that visually. Um, wow. But it doesn't, but it doesn't like actually like, you know, make any kind of like force reference to it because obviously it takes place before that. So it just kind of like, you know, it makes a, a visual reference to it so you know who this guy is, but it like shows you his place within the organization that is like all around them. It is an incredible show. Uh, Better Call Saul rules. <laughs> that's so fascinating. That is a, a running gag among my friend group to say Mesquite BBQ the way <laughs> that, that guy does when he tastes when he's doing the different uh, <laughs> dipping sauce flavors. Oh, That's man. bizarre. I got to watch Better Call Saul. You should. I mean, you watched like the first season or something, didn't you? And you kind of yeah. fell off of it. Yeah, I, I watched it, I think, when it came out on Netflix, you know, because it does that like when the new season starts, the old season becomes available. Yeah. Uh, and I just was like, I'm not interested in waiting <laughs> or any of that yeah. stuff. Uh, so I, you know, haven't haven't kept up with it at all. Uh, so maybe I'll wait till next year and just watch all of it at once. Wait till or it's watch finally all finished of it before season six. Uh Right. Five, six. Uh, season six is going to be the last season. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is kind of crazy. It'll actually have lasted longer than Breaking Bad did, uh, yeah. which is a little weird. I think that's I can't remember when my friends and I watched it because there was like two or three people in the group that were like were watching it live or had been watching it live. Yeah. And they're like, you guys got to fucking watch this. And I think it was either. Bef- I think it was between part one and two of season five. We were, they made like they sat us all down and we watched the whole show up to that point. Yeah. Like so we could watch the last half of the season live with them. So, yeah, but that, that was fun. And yeah, I'll check out I'll check out Better Call Saul one of these days. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it is uh, definitely worth it. It is an incredible show and like a perfect companion piece to Breaking Bad. And uh, hopefully that's the end of the universe of Breaking Bad. Because I feel like there's like I, I don't want to like press my luck on the on this universe anymore. Yeah. Like we already had Breaking Bad, which is a great show. We had El Camino, which is, I think, a really great like post finale kind of thing that they did. Yeah. Uh, and that really worked out. And then Better Call Saul is a really great spinoff. Uh, I don't want them to uh, do any more. Like, I'm, I'm happy with all with all that we've gotten from this universe. I'm OK with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess I guess in Vince Gilligan, we trust, right? Like, he's still involved, right? I assume. Yes. Yeah. No, he's still yeah. involved. I think he he was less involved in like a couple of the later seasons of Better Call Saul because he was working in El Camino. Right. Um, but he is still like, you know, relatively like still a producer, still a creator of the show and like does, I think, direct at least one episode a season usually. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Vince Gilligan and Peter. But Peter Gould is like the one who's really like has spearheaded Better Call Saul because he's the one who actually wrote the first episode that Saul appeared in in Breaking Bad. Oh. Um, and so they they work together. And a lot of the same people who wrote and worked on Breaking Bad as directors, they still work on Better Call Saul. It's like a, a very much a very similar creative team to Breaking Bad uh, that are working on this show. Uh, and yeah, it is consistently been one of the best shows on tv uh for the past several years uh so yeah better call Saul. it rules <laughs> do you have any do you have any uh runners runners up runner, uh, runner yes runners I, up? I have a couple of honorable mentions i didn't want to mention mike uh the first of which is a, a trilogy of movies i'm surprised you didn't mention any of these in your uh five uh but rise dawn and war for the planet of the apes uh that was that was on there that was uh, in the list of when i googled uh you know best prequel movies uh, that came up there but i never saw war you never oh, saw War. I, oh, yeah, shit. Which I know is supposed to be the best one out of those three. It's really great. I, I think Dawn might be the best one, but War is great, too. It's it's really good. Yeah. So um, I didn't want to throw any of those in there without having completed the uh, the trifecta there. That's fair enough. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about swapping out X-Men First Class for one of the Planet of the Ace movies. But uh, I guess I should have because you used X-Men First Class in your list. But oh, <laughs> this is how, what happens when we don't check know. ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, those movies are great. I mean, you've seen Rise and Dawn. So, I mean, you know, that like the like those are really great prequel movies that like Rise of Planet of the Apes does have like, you know, occasional prequely callbacks that are kind of lame. Uh, like there's the one scene where like Tom Felton's like, get your stinking hands off me, a damn dirty ape or whatever. Like yeah. he does the exact line. Uh, although like the, me- the immediate That's aftermath the of that scene is fucking rules. <laughs> That's like dead silence in the movie. Theater, yeah, because that, like, that's sh- the moment. It's the moment that seems really lame and then turns amazing in like the, in a hair of a second. Um, because yeah. that's the scene where Caesar talks for the first time and he shouts, no, and it's rocks. It's so good. So fucking cool. Um, but yeah, and Dawn, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I think, is like a really great post-apocalypse drama and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It has some great performances and Andy Serkis, incredible in all three of these movies as Caesar uh, and like the combination of him working with the visual effects team and all that stuff. But also these movies are just also ridiculous and fun at the same time. Like there's a scene in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes where there's an ape like riding a horse, wielding two machine guns and going like, yeah, and it's wild. <laughs> uh, isn't uh, what's his name? The guy who plays Koba, I think, right? Uh Oh, uh, he was in King Skull Island. Yes, he also played Kong in Skull Island. He was also a uh, doom in the Fantastic Four movie, like the new one. Right. Uh, and I'm blanking on who, what his name is. But he's fun. He's cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to uh, give a shout out to the Planet of the Apes trilogy, which probably should have made my list uh, but because I wanted to give some variety away from just movies just so there's not a million uh, too much overlap. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to. Uh, give a little more love out there. But yeah, those ones also alien covenant and uh, temple of doom were in my honorable mentions. Also, uh, those are kind of the big ones. And then a couple of, uh, small ones here and there. I wanted to quickly mention the Lion King one and a half, uh, <laughs> which is a very fun, you know, of all the direct to DVD <laughs> Disney sequel prequel things. Uh, that's one of the more fun ones, I think. Uh, and then also uh, a pup named Scooby-Doo. I wanted to throw that one in there too, wow. <laughs> uh, which is the best Scooby-Doo cartoon, I think. I would agree. I remember having my mind absolutely blown in at, at FYE 
when uh, somebody told me that Lion King one and a half, because I never I've never seen it, is about Timon and Pumbaa. And I was like, that means this is Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead. Yes. Like, because if if Lion King is Hamlet and this is about the joke characters, <laughs> like, yeah, like and it's, it's it, yeah, and it's like it's the same story as Lion King. It's just from their perspective and like what yeah. they're what they're doing on the sidelines. Uh, so, yeah, it is Rosencrantz and Gildenstern are dead, which I always like that, like weird thing with the Lion King. Like the first one's Hamlet. The second one is Romeo and Juliet. The third one is Rosencrantz and Gildenstern. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Did you indeed. have any more honorable mentions? Uh, th- that's all I got, Mike. What else do you got in your honorable mentions? Um, I have one that probably should have made the list, uh, and that is the Animatrix. The Animatrix. Uh, okay. Which I've only seen once, uh, so I didn't want to throw it in there because I haven't seen it uh, in 10 years. Uh, but yeah, just that like, kind of all, it's like an anthology short film kind of thing, or an anthology of short films that are all various animation styles that kind of connect to the in-between of the different Matrix movies and show you what's going on in the real world. While they're in the in the Matrix or the other way around and doing kind of everything. Uh, and it's really weird and experimental and strange, but it's awesome as that it exists, like as a curio yeah. kind of thing. So I want to throw that in there. You ready for this, Mike? I have never seen the Animatrix. Whoa, uh, I'm going to put that on the Mike make Mike watch list because you might like that. Although I guess you might have to watch all of the anime, <laughs> watch all of the Matrix movies. to really. Well, the thing is, I'm planning like a Matrix rewatch before Matrix 4 comes out. Oh, uh, nice. Which is going to be this year. And I was thinking to myself, like, I should watch the Animatrix. Like, I feel like yeah. I'm going to like it because I love yeah. the Matrix movies. <laughs> I feel like I remember it adding a lot of context that was like, holy shit, like, you know, really right. cool stuff. Uh, so definitely hard recommend for you to include that in your rewatch. Nice. And then I'll throw out this, too, which is a joke, kind of. <laughs> that is the Phantom Menace 3D. Uh, which <laughs> yes. right when, when they were now, when they were going to do all 3d re-releases of all the star Wars movies. <laughs> yes. Right before Disney bought Lucasfilm, they started, or maybe it was right before they announced the new movies. I don't remember exactly where the timing was, but before we knew for sure there were going to be a new star Wars trilogy, they started re-releasing the movies in order in 3d, starting with Phantom Menace. And it was the only one they ever <laughs> released uh, <laughs> in theaters and me and Colin and one of our other friends uh, bought tickets to the midnight screening opening night. Let's fucking go. <laughs> kind of just out of curiosity. Sure. Uh, and there were like 15 people in the theater. <laughs> like It was like <laughs> we didn't need to be there yep. uh, at midnight. But it was a blast. It was a lot of fun with, you know, cause the people that wanted to be there at midnight were all having a good time. And, you know, that movie, I think, is kind of garbage. Uh, you, I, I, when we did our rewatch ranking or whatever we did. did we do, what did we do? We did a let's rank. We did a let's or? rank of star Wars, but you couldn't be part of it. You uh, had to, I think your computer was having issues or something. So yes. you weren't there. Uh, so oh, it, was just, it was just me and Kyle who did the let's rank. Uh, okay, then you, we you gave me a, retros- a list. Yeah, I gave you the list. We did a retrospective of them. I think maybe before Force Awakens, we rewatched all of them. Yeah. And I did the machete order, which cuts out Phantom Menace. <laughs> so yes. uh, that's my opinion of the movie, but pod racing in 3d in a theater. Mwah. It was it was a lot of fun. That was really cool. So I wanted to just tell that story because it's it's silly that we went to see the Phantom Menace in 3D at midnight. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, my, my hot take on the prequels, the Star Wars prequels, the Phantom Menace is the best one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Spicy. It is, uh, you know, I think Phantom Menace gets the, the heat of a lot of the hatred. Like it gets, yeah. it gets most of the hatred because it was the first one. It was the first one that people were disappointed in. Right. Yeah. Uh, Jar Jar and everything. Yeah, exactly. But I, but I think, you know, watching that one compared to number two and three, like I just I, I find so much of the craft of making it much more interesting. Like se- the second and third one are like, you know, all digital, like they're all CGI, yeah. everything. And the first one has like a mix of uh, 
you know, digital effects and practical like live action sets. Uh, and as a result, I think it like is one of the best looking Star Wars movies out there. Like it is very, very good. And I also saw the Phantom Menace in 3D uh, yes. when it was when it was re- we released. Then I did not go at midnight. Uh, <laughs> you, you I should have. Uh, I'm surprised I didn't actually. But uh, me and my roommate did go, I believe, on opening day. Like it was, you know, the, that day. And it was literally our theater was us two and one guy in a Darth Maul costume. Like he was <laughs> full on Darth Maul makeup. He had like the black robe and everything. He had the horns. Uh, he, he brought his lightsaber with him. He went by himself and it was just us two and like one guy on the other side of the theater in a Darth Maul costume. <laughs> At the, the Crossgates Mall in Albany, New York. <laughs> yeah, we might have even went to Colony Center to see it. Ooh, Ooh wow, fancy theater. Yeah, uh, and then afterwards we were waiting by the bus, and this guy was like waiting in the next, <laughs> waiting, waiting for the next bus next to us. <laughs> Just kind of looking at him like like a shared not understanding, I think, between between the three of us. What a champion! That's yeah, amazing. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, the Phantom Menace 3D. Like I, you know. Disney buying Star Wars like it has resulted in, you know, some movies that I liked and some that I didn't and all that kind of stuff. I do wish they had just kept the 3D re-releases going because that, that seemed like that could have been a really fun tradition. Like it seemed like they were going to do once a year, every year. It's like, hey, yeah. it's the 3D re-release of Attack of the Clones, it's the 3D re-release of Revenge of the Sith. And like it was going to do, you know, one through six in that order. Uh, and in retrospect, they should have just done episode four. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have been it. Uh, yeah, we really did get robbed of getting to see. Uh, the original trilogy in 3D in theaters. That would have been a yeah, lot of fun. That would have been pretty wild. Uh, I will say, though, the, the pod race in 3D, very cool, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. The, definitely the best part. Yeah. Uh, all right. Any other honorable mentions you uh, got in there, Mike? Uh, no, that's all. That's all the things. All right. Cool, cool, cool. I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Mike, you want to run down your list one more time? Uh, sure. My list was number five, Prometheus. Number four, X-Men First Class. Number three, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. Number two, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and the number one prequel of all time, Fast Five. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, my top five, uh, X-Men First Class, number five. Uh, My number four is Kingdom Hearts, Birth by Sleep. My number three is Wet Hot American Summer, First Day of Camp. My number two is Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. And my number one prequel of all time is Better Call Saul, which has not finished yet, but I'm pretty confident they're going to stick the landing on that one. That like that show has given me no reason to doubt that it's going to rule uh, in its final 13 episodes. Nice. Um, but all right. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you like to donate to support the show, you can do that on our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods, plural, because we have two podcasts. Yes, we do. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks for listening to Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike's Cree Show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app and contact us at Mike and Mike Pod on Twitter. Uh, you can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, which is a podcast about all kinds of comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. So on the next episode, uh, we'll be getting into some more Marvel stuff. Loki and Black Widow are on the docket, which, again, Mike has not watched either of those yet. Uh, I will say I really, really dig Loki. Once again, I'm, I'm so into that show. And uh, Black Widow, it's pretty good. It's fun. I, I had a good time. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, Loki seemed like of all the things that have been out so far that I w- it seemed like the one I would be the most into because it seems like the weirdest. Uh, yes. So I'm, I'm excited to watch it for next week. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you got Florence Pugh and Black Widow, Mike, uh, which yeah. is oh, always yeah. good. Your girl. Uh, yeah, I'm a friend of the show. Yes, 
friend of the show, Florence Pugh. Uh, please be on the episode next. Our, our special guest next week is Florence Pugh to discuss Black Widow. <laughs> We're going to put that out there into the world and then see what happens. Maybe we she'll just contact see us. Yeah. Uh, anyway, in the meantime, The Complete Works is covering Jeff Goldblum for season two, and we have got Cats and Dogs this week, Living Together, Mass Hysteria, uh, but also there's a movie called Cats and Dogs. <laughs> yes. And Goldblum's uh, in it. And Jeff Goldblum is in it. Uh, we used to own it back in the day on uh, VHS for me and DVD for Mike. We saw it when we were kids multiple times. We have no memory of this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> technically, it exists. It, it does somewhere. technically exist. And we did talk about it uh, on the podcast. So that'll be out this week. And that's the end of this week's episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. We'll see you on the other side. How we get to have a fucking banger this theme song is. Yes, we do. Would Mank be considered a prequel to Citizen Kane, do you think? Ooh, tough. Tough call. <laughs> Should I throw in the Let's Mank theme just in case? Do it. I'm in. <laughs> you can do it at the end. Mank. Pick up some movies and Mank. Mank. Mank.